Well, that was not the welcome I was expecting. Uh, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Zechariah. It's spelled with an E the way it ought to be, Zechariah. I'm a, a Jew and a priest, and as a Jew and as a priest, I want you to know my life doesn't really revolve around me. My story doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around my people and my God. And so this morning, allow me to sort of start large and high, and then I'm going to narrow down. For 400 years, God had not spoken through a prophet. Consequently, without a word from the Lord, everything was upside down and inside out for my people. Also, unfortunately, we had suffered far too long under corrupt and incapable kings. Corrupt incapable kings who essentially caused our people to turn their back on God. Also, we had suffered under the brutality of the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, and more recently, for the last six decades, we had suffered from the oppression of the Romans who had conquered us. General Pompey had conquered our holy land for his unholy empire, And we thought things just couldn't get any worse than they were. Then in 37 B.C., after a failed attempt of my people to rebel against Rome, the Romans turned Judea into a little Roman province, and they put this little Jewish king, Herod the Great, in charge. He was essentially an administrator, calling him a king, just doesn't do any favors to kings. King was too lofty a title for him. He was more like a provincial premier. At any rate, during this whole time, my people continued to place their hope in a Messiah, in a deliverer who would come. We were waiting for someone who would sit on David's throne and Reign like King David, someone who would come in and rid us of the oppressors and get rid of the injustice, someone who would come and establish a kingdom of righteousness and justice. We hoped and we prayed and we prayed and we hoped, but nothing really seemed to change. There was not any movement. The only movement that we ever saw was a movement into further oppression and further injustice and injustice and an oppression that seemed like it would just never end. In short, we could not stand our government. How many of you ever feel at least a little dissatisfied with your government? You don't have to raise your hands. How many of you kind of wish things were different? You wish you had better leaders? Okay. Tell me about it. Now, I'm sorry, I'm I'm feeling like I'm a little bit like an old man who's grumbling for the good old days. But the good old days for which I grumble were good old days that I actually never really experienced. My whole life was lived under impression in a time of injustice. And so it gets a little bit hard sometimes to pray for what you've never experienced. We wondered 
if things would ever get any better. We wondered if our hopes would ever be fulfilled. We wondered if the prophecies would ever be fulfilled. It's hard to pray and to pray and to pray for what you don't experience, what you've never experienced. And sometimes you get to the point where you just sort of wonder if any of this is real. Well, again, my name is Zechariah. I'm, I'm a priest, a Jewish priest. And, and yes, I'm old, but I haven't always been old. I grew old. My wife, she never grew old. She just became, and let me just share you the, the right phrase because this is what I learned in marriage class 101 in the synagogue. She became well along in years. Okay, guys get old. Women, they just get better. They become well along in years. And as I grew older, year after year after year, I prayed for the same basic three things. I prayed to serve as priest in the temple of God. I prayed to become a father. And I prayed to see the Messiah. And for the longest time, for the vast majority of my life, These three prayers that were most important to me, they never went anywhere. In fact, after a while, Elizabeth and I, we just, that's my wife, by the way, we just stopped praying for children. And we didn't feel guilty about it. I mean, at a certain point, you know, when you've been over the hill for a while, you know that that's pretty much popped a hole in your biological clock. Now, we prayed for children. Don't get me wrong. We prayed for children for the longest time. In fact, when we first moved to Jerusalem and we bought a little house in the subdivision on the outskirts of town, we made sure that 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 house had two extra bedrooms in it because we were planning on having children, lots of children. But time passed. And our friends, whenever they would have children, they were very kind and encouraging, and they would tell us when they had children, you two are going to make such great parents. But that day never came for us. And we wondered, was God listening to us? Does God hear our prayers? At a certain point, we just had to stop praying, and it's not that we felt like we were even being faithless. It's just that... We had mirrors. We could see the lines on our faces getting deeper and the hair turning gray to white. Hope disappointed hurts. And at a certain point, prayer can just magnify the ache. So we hadn't been praying for children in years. And we didn't feel guilty about it. It's just the way that it is. Now, I continue to pray to serve as priest in the temple of God. Serving as a priest in the temple is the highest honor. It's the greatest experience that a priest could ever possibly imagine. I was a priest. My dad before me was a priest. Everybody wanted to serve as a priest in the temple, but not everybody got to. In fact, only a minority ever had an opportunity. You could serve your entire life long as a priest, but most of the time you would never be able to serve in the sanctuary, in the temple of God. You see, I was one of 18,000 priests, one of 24 divisions of the priesthood of the 8th division of, of Abijah, and a priest only got to serve at the temple one week out of the year. 
And then if you were to serve in the temple, it was only because you literally won the lottery. That was the custom of our priesthood because not everybody could get in and that just seemed the fairest way to make sure that someone could serve. And if you served, you only got to serve one time in your lifetime. Most, though, never had the opportunity. And so year after year, I prayed to serve in the temple. Of course, I'm getting older and I'm getting older and I'm getting frustrated and it's looking like it's just not going to happen for me, just like children didn't happen for me. And then I won the lottery. The lot fell on me. And so now I'm in the, I'm in the temple and I'm excited. Uh, but I'm trying not to be too excited because, you know, how if you get too excited, you can mess things up. And so I was excited, but excited that I wasn't excited enough, but a little bit too excited. And I just, I was a little bit beside myself because I've been waiting for this and hoping for this and praying for this my whole life long. And so here I am in the temple and, and I had this one duty to perform. It was to burn incense on the altar of incense. So here, here's what I was doing as a priest twice a day. 9 a.m., 3 p.m., the priest would go into the temple and burn incense on the altar of incense. Let me tell you about the altar of incense. Uh, the altar of incense was made out of acacia wood. It was a very, very hard wood, and it was overlaid with gold. It was about 36 inches high, 18 inches by 18 inches. Not that large, but the altar of incense would be right in front of the curtain that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple and so there's the presence of god on the other side which the priest couldn't get back to but the holy the high priest would get back there once a year on the day of atonement but and and my whole job the job of the priest was to bring in coals from the brazen altar of sacrifice out on the temple bring in those hot coals put those hot coals on the altar of incense and when those hot coals hit the incense, which was a mixture of five different spices, there would be a burst of smell and a burst of smoke, and it would represent the prayers of the people rising up to God. And this would happen at the perpetual hour of offering, and the people would be outside. And sure enough, at this moment where I'm at the altar of incense, all the, the whole assembly of the people had gathered outside and were praying. And when I put the hot coals on the incense and the burst of smoke and smells began to rise. An angel of the Lord appeared to me standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When I saw him, I was terrified and overcome with fear. I'd never seen an angel before, but, and I don't know how to explain it other than When I saw the angel, I knew it was an angel, and I was terrified. The angel then said to me, don't be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. And immediately I thought, wait, my prayer has been heard. What prayer? What prayer are you talking about? And the angel said, your prayer has been heard, for your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. And I thought to myself, now, wait a second. Elizabeth and I are way over the hill. We haven't been praying for children in years. And then it occurred to me, 
Maybe a person's prayer is alive and active as long as our eternal God is alive and active. Does God have to answer our prayers with immediacy? Maybe my prayers that were prayed years, over a decade earlier, still registered with God. He heard my prayers. I may have forgotten about my prayers, but God had not. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you will name him John. And he will be a delight and a joy for you. And many people will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of God. And he will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even while still in his mother's womb. And he will cause many in Israel to turn to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of fathers back to their children, the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, and make ready for the Lord a prepared people. And I was hearing the angel saying all these things, and it sounded like scripture. And sure enough, I remembered this is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. And I'm getting to be a part of the eternal plan of God. I'm overwhelmed by the angel. I wasn't expecting any of this when I woke up in the morning. And so I just blurted out the first thing that came to mind. How can I know this since I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years? Now, apparently that wasn't the response the angel was looking for. And I was kind of proud of myself for not calling my wife old, but it just kind of came out. How, how can I know this since I'm an old man? My wife is well along in years. It's, that seemed to be a fair question. And the angel responded, I am Gabriel. And immediately I knew I was in trouble. Uh, Gabriel was no low-level angel. I knew this, this was no Clarence Oddbody earning his wings in Bedford Falls. This was no angel named Dudley who looked like Denzel Washington or... Cary Grant helping out a preacher's wife. This was the archangel Gabriel. This is the, the angel Gabriel who, among other things, paid Daniel a visit to reveal mysteries to Daniel from God. I am Gabriel. And before I had even a chance to say I'm sorry or re- retrace a little bit, said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. You know, the presence of God on the other side of the curtain, the presence of God that would kill you if you went in there unprepared. I stand over there all the time. And I've been sent to you to speak to you to tell you this good news. Now listen. In other words, you should have just kept your mouth shut in the first place. Now listen. You will become silent. And in case I didn't understand what that meant... You will become silent and unable to speak until all these things happen because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And just like that, I couldn't talk. It's like my tongue was removed from my head. My mouth had duct tape over it. And yes, we had duct tape back then. We Jews invented it. Couldn't say a word. And somehow I knew not only could I not say a word, but God didn't want me 
in any way, shape, or form talking about any of these things, not yet. The timing was really inconvenient. You see, the people expected that once the priest had burnt the incense on the altar of incense, offering up the prayers of the people, they expected that when he came out, he would pronounce a blessing over the people. But I couldn't pronounce a blessing. I I just did sign language, but I don't know sign language. And they had been kind of murmuring before I got out, what is taking him so long? Why has he been in the sanctuary of the Lord this long? And when I finally came out and couldn't say anything, then they figured, oh, he's seen a vision. He's heard something. He's learned something extraordinary. Too bad, so sad, he can't share any of that with anybody. Now, let me just give you a couple of lessons that I learned real quickly at this point. And and number one is there's nothing more painful than having something to say but being unable to say it. Being tongue-tied when you've got a message is really, really painful. The other thing, second thing that I learned is if an angel's talking, be quiet. Angels apparently like to have the last word. And so if an angel is speaking or you're in the midst of angels who are speaking, just keep your mouth closed so that later you can open it. So at the end of my service, I I went back home. Elizabeth, of course, became pregnant. And for five months, she just kind of hid in seclusion. But during this time, this time of silence when I was unable to speak, and I think actually forbidden to speak, I had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to pray and a lot of time to read. And I thought about how God visited Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And God sent this angel, and there was an announcement of this miracle child that would be born to them in their old age. And this child, Isaac, was a a child of promise, a child whereby God was able to fulfill his covenant. And I got to thinking, I wonder if my John is anything like Abraham and Sarah's Isaac. I wonder if he'll be that significant. I wonder if now God is establishing a new covenant, that this is the new covenant that Jeremiah talked about some 500 years ago. And it got me to thinking, when God answers a prayer, boy, does he answer a prayer. I've been praying to go to the temple. I've been praying to be a father. I've been praying to see the Messiah. And it looks like all of these things were wrapped up into one. And so maybe maybe the angel was right. My prayer had been heard. The way God fulfills things sometimes, just amazing. Sometimes it seems like it's just taking forever to get anywhere, and then all of a sudden, God just moves. Well, as the story goes, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard about how the Lord had been merciful to her, and they rejoiced with her, and I rejoiced with her. There was so much joy for everyone. Then, when uh, we brought our child to be circumcised on the eighth day, which was in accordance with the Jewish custom, reaffirming the covenant that God had with his people, when we brought our child to be circumcised on the eighth day, they wanted to name him Zechariah after me, his father. 
But his mother said, no, he will be called John. And they told her, no one in your family has that name. So they turned to me to find out from me what it is that I wanted him to be called. And so I asked for a writing tablet and I wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed, but it really wasn't that amazing because I just didn't want to see Gabriel again anytime soon. And I also knew that this child belonged to me, but even more so to the Lord. And so the Lord got to name him. I don't know why the Lord chose the name John, but if John is what God wanted, John's what God was going to get because John was his even more than mine. So I just wrote, his name is John. And immediately my mouth was open and my tongue was set free and I began to speak, praising God. Consequently, all those who lived around us had a holy fear settle on them. The fear of God came over all those who lived around us. And all these things were being talked about everyone throughout the entire hill country of Judea. All who heard about John marveled at these things. They took them to heart saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. And then I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And and I, Zechariah, one out of 18,000 priests, doubter of God, Zechariah, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, Because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and the hand of those who hate us. He has been gracious to our ancestors been merciful to our ancestors and he has remembered his holy covenant the oath that he spoke to our father Abraham he has given to us a privilege because we've been rescued to serve without fear our God in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. As I was prophesying, I couldn't help but think about how I had waited my whole life to serve in the sanctuary of God, to just get close to the presence just for a few minutes. And as these words came out of my mouth, to to serve Him without fear, in righteousness and holiness, not for a minute, not for an hour, not for a day, not for a week, but to serve in his presence all of our days to essentially stand where Gabriel always stood. And then I prophesied about John because it wasn't just about me and God's people. Of course, this was about John. And and so I prophesied, and, and you, child, 
will be a prophet of the, the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to the people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And I thought, what more could be added than what I've just been displaying? You see, the, the altar of the brazen... The brazen altar of sacrifice is where the animals were placed. And we all knew that in order for our sins to be covered, there had to be atoning sacrifice. Blood had to be shed. And it was only through that sacrifice that our prayers would ever ascend to the Father. That's why we took the burning coals from that altar and put them on the altar of incense because there's only one way whereby our prayers could go to God. It was through his grace and sacrifice, and I was wondering what more could be added than was being proclaimed every time we offered up the smoke of our offerings. But John would come, and he would proclaim forgiveness of sins, that knowledge of salvation. That it wasn't just about me and it wasn't just about the people and our privilege to serve in his presence all of our days. It wasn't just about John. It was about the one to whom everyone would ultimately be pointing. And so I also prophesied. And by his, by God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on us. Why? because we deserve it now to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Not because our feet are already on the path of peace or because we've already somehow established peace with God, but he himself is coming to visit. We have a God who is a savior, a God who's a redeemer, a God who's a deliverer. And then the dawn, the light of the new day will be visiting us bring us, all of us who live in darkness, all of us who live in the shadow of death, light, peace. I could hardly believe that these words were coming out of my mouth, but I knew they were coming out of my mouth, and I knew they were from God. It's just that nine months earlier, I had rejected the messenger of God, and now I am the messenger of God. For 400 years, God had not spoken through a prophet. And now, me, little Zechariah, I'm the mouthpiece of God. It was only by his grace. I thought about how sometimes it just seems like our prayers are never going to be answered. It seems like God is moving so slowly that he's not moving at all. And then at other times, it just happens so quickly that his movement seems like lightning. But God moves in accordance with his own time, but he always moves in accordance, too, with the prayers that we offer him. I don't know always how it works out. I just know we give God prayers, and when his timing is just right, he answers Now, some of you may know that a few months later, six months later, Mary gave birth to her boy, and she named him Jesus, just as the angel Gabriel had told her, smart woman, 
And Elizabeth and I had pretty much figured out, we knew, that there was a very tight connection between our boy, John, and her boy, Jesus. We were kind of interested to see how things were going to play out. We didn't know how long it was going to take. We just knew that sometimes God moves slowly, sometimes he moves quickly, but we knew he had a plan and he was going to work it out. And we trusted now, like we'd never had before, that all things will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, I have to tell you that it was really fun having John around the house. Uh, our house was special. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth had been filled with the Holy Spirit. John was filled with the Holy Spirit even while he was in his mother's womb. It was a spirit-filled household. It was, it was great. And Gabriel was right. John was a delight and a joy to me. But to be honest with you, even though he was of the Lord... He was a little weird. Just saying, sometimes kids, they've got their ways, and God frequently uses prophets who are just kind of offbeat. Do crazy things, like wear wigs and dress up. Our boy had one foot in one world and one foot in the other. and He had this weird habit, and I'm, I'm kind of reluctant to share it with you, but because I don't want you to think ill of him, but... He ate locusts. You might call them grasshoppers. Like most kids, he also liked sweet things, honey. His favorite was dipping grasshoppers in the honey. And I just thought, okay, kids go through things. He'll grow out of it. Uh, but I don't know. I, like you know, I was a senior adult when he was an infant, so I wasn't around to see how God used him in his adult years. I just knew enough to know that I could trust God with my son's future. I also knew enough to know that God moves forward. I learned that it's much, much better, in spite of all the darkness of the politics of the day, I knew it was so much better to be dreaming toward the future of what God had in store than it was to be looking back on a disappointing past or even the good old days. God's a God who just moves people forward, and sometimes it seems really slow, and sometimes it happens really quickly. But one of the things I also learned is you don't keep your eyes on the present circumstances because God has a plan that transcends our momentary darkness, even those times when we feel like we're living in the shadow of death. And we are a part of, and it is a privilege to be a part of God's plan that transcends all of this. And we've been granted this privilege, not because we're awesome people, but because he has, as I prophesied, delivered us. He has redeemed us. And that's why we get to live without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all of our days. And what a joy, too, to be a part of a family where me and my wife and my kid and those around us We got to simply proclaim the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Now, the good news, too, is I did live long enough to see Mary have her boy, and I got to see the merciful compassion of God in flesh. I got to see the dawn from on high visit us. 
just doesn't get any better than that. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for uh, Zechariah's testimony. Um, I don't know what everybody here needed to hear or if any of these things in particular, but Lord, uh, I do pray that you would help us to really appreciate where we are in your narrative, your story of redemption. The dawn from on high has come. He has visited us. It's not because we're so great. No, he came to set our feet, to bring us into the path of peace, to establish peace between us and God and between us and one another. And he did it not because we deserved it, but he did it because we needed it. We do live in darkness apart from Christ. We do live in the shadow of death apart from Christ. And so, Lord, we are privileged to have been visited. We are privileged to have been redeemed by you. And we are privileged to be invited into the story. And I pray, Lord, that we will find ourselves praying. It is easy sometimes to be distracted by the darkness of the world in, in which we live. But the, but, but the dawn has come. The light of, an, of another world has come. He has entered into our picture. And we know where things are going. We know you will fulfill your promises. So, Lord, we pray that when you do return, you will find us praying. When you do return, you will find us faithful. When you do return, you will find us transcending our momentary circumstances, engaged in this grander story of redemption. Lord, I pray that if there are any here who have yet to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, the light who has come into this world to push back and dispel the darkness, I pray, Lord, you'd enable them wisely to simply acknowledge your salvation. God, you're a God that saves and you sent a Savior. And his name is Jesus, and we can all turn to him and know peace. So if there are any who have yet to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, I just pray you'd give them the wisdom to simply say to you, God, I know that I've sinned, I know that I've fallen short, I know that there is that I'm not just in darkness, there's darkness in me. But I also know that there is one who has come, who one who has visited for a purpose to bring about light and joy and peace. And so God, right now I turn to Christ. I trust in Him as my Savior and my Lord. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you for saving me from my sin. In Jesus' name, amen.